G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Great topic of conversation ahead of us this coming hour. We're going to be talking about the nation of China and the incredible, breathtaking growth of Christianity in that nation of China. You'll be able to contribute to our conversation too. We will open our talkback lines, 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, we're talking about China. You might have your own thoughts. You might have some thoughts on the clash of worldviews. Uh, when the gospel is presented to nations like China. Well, to talk through some of the issues today with the Chinese people, Dr. Justin Tan is our guest. He's the newly appointed Vice Principal of Melbourne School of Theology and, of course, is part of the Centre for the Study of Chinese Christianity at the Melbourne School of Theology. And Justin Tan, welcome along to 2020. Uh, Good afternoon. Justin, just great to have you as part of today's program and talking about issues that are happening in China. When we think of China, it's just mind-boggling the numbers of people when we talk about population. Uh, 1.3 billion people compared to our very small 24 million people. Uh, Tell me what your thoughts are. You might have your own background, your own Chinese background, uh, your thoughts on the size of China and the fact that people are talking about China as you know, the dominant player economically this century, and the fact that uh, that Christianity is alive and well in China. Yes, I, I can talk about the uh, the uh, the growth of Christianity there, and uh, that's something that you know is very passionate in my heart, and you know, is something that I could uh, actually um, explain and uh, describe because I've been uh, in in China for for constantly for a lot of years already. And uh, yes, it's something that is uh, uh, a big topic of conversation, I suppose, nowadays. Justin, tell me about your background. Did you come to faith in Christ when you were in China, or or was that something that happened here in Australia? Yes, I was studying actually in Australia, and that's where I uh, got in contact with uh, Christianity, and uh, that's how I became a Christian, uh, actually back in Australia. Um, So it's something that is uh, unusual, I suppose. Now, when we talk about the numbers of Christians in China, this is a uh, this is a point here where uh, where it varies dramatically depending on whose figures you're looking at. Because obviously, the communist state in China doesn't want to overplay the numbers, but then you've got sort of uh, evangelicals around the world who are looking at numbers and perhaps inflating them more than they are. What are your thoughts on the numbers of Christians in China today? Well, I think the official figure right now still stands about 14 million. Um, but we know that this, this is what we call the registered people, that, that is um, in uh, the, the registered churches uh, that has that sort of record, and it's about 40 million, and that's the official figure. And we have the other one, obviously, because there are a lot of house churches. Christians become um, 
uh, having their own sort of meeting places and that is not being registered. So it'll probably be at twice as, as much, uh, I would say, the, with the conservative figure that we can get. Uh, 40 million for the official one, and about 80 million for uh, uh, with, with the unregistered one, uh, Christians uh, in in China. I suppose. That, that, what are your well. thoughts on uh, on these? You know, some people call uh, you know sometimes there's figures that church leaders come up with. They call them evangelistic, uh, in the sense of uh, overinflating numbers. What about your thoughts on the uh, the dynamic growth and the potential? Because there are some who are suggesting that by the year 2020 there could be as many as a hundred million uh, Christian believers in China. Uh, what are your thoughts on on the growth curve? I think I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out to 100 million because the, the church is very vibrant at the moment and it's, uh, they're doing a lot of evangelistic work and that's all already something that you know, is staggering because people are doing that in the open nowadays. So you can see people talking to each other, you can see people sharing uh, faith uh, while they're traveling in the train or you know, just on the streets or in cafes. Nowadays we have cafes and people talking about that. I was I worked in a university um, as, a, as a professor there in uh, one of the universities. I could see students, say, for example, uh, having lunch together and sharing the gospel in, uh, in, in, a, in the midst of everybody else. So it's a bit more open, and um, there's a very vibrant uh, group of people who are really willing to, to bring their faith out in the open and share with others and, and, and feel the joy of having, you know, being, being able to... Uh, just be in touch with God. I think that's what they wanted to say. And uh, yes, it's. Uh, I would, wouldn't be surprised if the numbers would go up to 100 million. Mm. When we talk about the foundations in China, the philosophy, the political philosophy of communism, which is really a very godless philosophy, an atheistic philosophy, uh, and you bring Christianity into that mix, you've got this clash of worldviews, this clash of of cultures in one sense. Has that been a, a fuel for the Christian gospel or is, uh, is, it, uh, is it something very dangerous? Yeah, when we say about the clash of culture, I think uh, there is slightly a misunderstanding of the whole thing because it, officially in the, uh, in the documents of the government, it says there's a freedom of religion. Um, so uh, it is not just about uh, clash of cultures. We have Christianity being there for nearly or more than 200 years. Then we have also uh, religions, uh, important religions, like Buddhism, was there thousands of years before. So, and then you have the Islamic religion there coming in, say in, um, in the. Uh, I think it's about uh, about a thousand years ago. So there you are. So you have this uh, different uh, religion and cultures that's coming in, and these are actually, if with the official one, you would say we probably say there's an atheist, atheistic um, type of scout look uh, from the government point of view, but there is nothing to say that uh, religion cannot exist in that sort of environment. Um, this is my my take of it, anyway. But obviously, it's different on the ground. It'll be different in the sense of uh, of the communists will possibly say that you know we endorse the atheistic point of view. Anything else will be something that we will have to reconsider.
Now, when we talk about the breathtaking growth of Christianity in China, yeah. and you mention uh, the uh, Buddhist religion as well, and you mentioned Islam, yeah. are those religions growing at the same sort of rate, or is Christianity an outstanding growth uh, to, to look at? Um, in terms of statistics, I think we, we can't really be very, very sure about that, but uh, Islamic religion is uh, now on the rise. Uh, in, 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 in China. Uh, but if you compare the Christianity with uh, the Buddhist religion, obviously religion is there. Buddhist religion is always there. And uh, now because of the revival of people thinking about how to make better of their lives, uh, people are really coming to embrace Buddhism again um, out, uh, after about 50 years of communism, or 60 years of communism. Um, I think with Christianity, it's because it's looked as looked at as a as a, as a foreign religion before, as a you know a Western religion. It wasn't encouraged, and until I think after the Cultural Revolution, things begin to change because it's it's got this distinct Chinese characteristics of the of what the of Christianity is all about, and and people begin to embrace it as. An, a, a religion um, that they find uh, useful and find visionary. Um, um, so we have that sort of a, 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 a growth, a sort of outburst of growth uh, in Christianity. But 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 you, Buddhism has got that sort of growth as well uh, after the Cultural Revolution. So yeah, let's just uh, just uh, dwell on this for a moment because it's interesting the way people's perceptions are. Because uh, where Christianity might be seen as like a Western religion, yeah. well, of course here we are in the West saying our Christianity. If we really want to know a true Christianity, it's a Eastern Middle Eastern. Uh, religion that we are in fact uh, looking because Jesus was a Jew and uh, all of these central uh, ideas they all happened uh, in the Middle East there in the, the nation right. of Israel and the Middle yeah. Eastern nations uh, so the perceptions of the uh, Chinese uh, if they're looking at Christianity as an imported foreign religion which is really coloured by the West they're yeah. seeing they're seeing sort of Western benefits or the blessing that flows in Western nations to, mm -hmm. to be something that they would look forward to in their own nation. Yes, I think there's a dichotomy here. I and mean, people think in terms of two different ways. One is to see that it, it is a foreign religion. It is not something that we can readily sort of translate it back to the cult, uh, Chinese uh, culture. The other thing is about, you know, the things that Christianity has been doing uh, in in the Western um, countries, where religion re did help um, the growth of uh, of uh, wealth and um, and also for ideology in terms of democracy, uh, these are things that people embrace truthfully because they feel that in this is something of an advantages to uh, advantage to have Christianity uh, as a religion because it helps the nation grow, it uh, advances the nation's wealth and that sort of thing. But the, on the other hand, um, people are still resisting towards the fact that it is not a really readily transferable or into a Chinese cultural uh, setting. Um, but nowadays, uh, things are beginning to turn dramatically uh, because of the young, uh, you can say the young people that, that uh, come out of 
the Cultural Revolution, they find that um, they are more in in the middle class situations where they think about in a higher uh, calling, higher uh, state of mind, and higher. Um, uh, ideology. So they find that Christianity is very attractive in the sense of giving them a much more complete philosophy in, in life and other cultures, uh, other religions. Is it most attractive to that middle class? Uh, because it, if, it, we, it if we be. talked about classes, you know, the very yeah. poor, and then there's yeah. an emerging middle class in China, isn't there? And then, of course, there's the wealthy. Is it yeah. the middle classes that are embracing Christianity or is it, or is it still the poor? Yeah, we have to go back into, into, in, into history for a bit. When the missionaries came over to China, um, most of the converts will be more from the poor, poorer sector of, of the community. Um, but uh, since the Cultural Revolution, after the Cultural Revolution, and because uh, there is a reform of, uh, uh, of, from, the, uh, from the government, um, Embracing a bit more capitalism and middle class uh, sector becomes something of a, 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 a growth. Um, this is the part where things begin to change, where as, as people are being being more, more literate and uh, more well lear, learned in, in Western values and religion, they begin to find that. Um, uh, they wanted to actually embrace more of these because they find that this is sort of a it's got this higher calling and more uh, attractive type of philosophy behind it. So where you've got the middle classes, and I guess yeah. when we talk about middle classes, we're talking about people who are more educated and therefore able to exactly, yeah. uh, to generate and to yeah. understand uh, these me- mechanisms by which uh, why good things happen. And just hearkening back when you were when you were saying that Chinese are looking at uh, Christianity and uh, they're looking at the West and they're saying, well, it's Christianity that's brought wealth to the West and uh, the freedom that comes through uh, democracy. These are the yes. sorts of things that people are embracing about faith. That's right, yes. Uh, I think um, we have to start at that. And then, but obviously there's a very strong personal conversion uh, because of the collapse of uh, moral and... Um, and ideological back, um, um, backgrounds in the in in China, um, and because of that, they are, I mean, people are looking for something that will uh, help them advance in their in their life. I mean, they are looking for meaning of life, if you want to put that way. And uh, Christianity is very very attractive in the sense of giving a more much more complete uh, sense of well being and complete sense of. Of life um, than other cultures. So, for example, Buddhism. For example, now a lot of middle classes will not go very much towards Buddhism because they find it as a more superstitious religion, where you 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 only go to to pray to to the Buddhist uh, in the Buddhist temple because you want to get something out of it. But they'll find that that's too hypocritical. Um, they'll want to just come into a religion where they feel that um, they are not using religion for their own wealth, but they're th- thinking about how religion can, mean, can bring meaning to their life. That's right. It's, it's more than 
wealth, and it's more than the freedom that comes from uh, democracy. Uh, yeah. This is the this is the essence of the gospel message, isn't it? That it's actually yeah. not freedom and it's not wealth that are the central uh, elements, but really it's the uh, connecting with God, uh, the uh, overcoming of sin, the sin nature, which is clearly seen exactly. in our human nature. And uh, and so you're saying that Christianity. Uh, is attractive because it is like a holistic worldview that has the answers that people are looking for coming from that communist background. I think you put it very well, and that's what it is. I think when initially when people come to Christianity, they think about the wealth in the West, but as as soon as they come into into uh, more investigation and deeper into in, uh, into Christianity, I think they begin to drop that out. You know, they drop out the fact that you know wealth is important. They feel that meaning is more important than wealth and so they will delve into what Christianity is talking about and they feel that you know there is some way um, the Christianity addresses the the human condition um, and and they, they know for a fact that you know they're not comp- they're, they're not perfect they know for a fact that we we all have our shortcomings and these shortcomings begin to be expressed in in Christianity as as sin and so that's where they can embrace a, a more personal type of conversion from from what they're doing now. Good to have you along with us. It is the Monday edition of 2020. We're talking about China and the breathtaking growth of Christianity in that nation. Dr. Justin Tan is our guest from the Centre for the Study of Chinese Christianity at the Melbourne School of Theology. Justin, if I was asking you about the mood in the country uh, throughout China, an uneasy calm, we've been talking about uh, the idea that there is officially freedom of religion in China uh, and there is a tolerance from the Chinese authorities, but it's a fairly thin sort of a tolerance. Uh, What do we talk about when we discuss the idea of an uneasy calm in China? I think the um, the government is uh, tolerating the uh, the growth of Christianity in a sense because it helps the um, the policy that is already propagated in the uh, uh, from the authorities saying that we need to have a harmonious society. A harmonious society means that you have you know whatever that will help the the harmony of of the nation is. It's not going to be deleted, um, no matter what it is. And so Christianity and other religions are being embraced in that sort of term alone. And say, well, as long as it brings harmony and uh, also uh, some sort of uh, wealth into a donation, it'll be tolerated. Um, so because of that, and then so Christianity has this little window where it could actually, you know, grow. Um, and then because of that window, it becomes a, a door and becomes sort of a big door. So people are, you know, just embracing it more and more. But there's always, you know, back in their mind, you know, there's something, somebody, uh, some authority that's behind all that and just been controlling. Uh, I think people understand that very, very, very quickly. If there's uh, civil unrest, for example, in the in society, or if there is uh, political turmoil somewhere, the people that will feel that sort of um, um, risks uh, and also uh, danger or 
this fear of persecution suddenly becomes a, a great thing. You know, when things of a civil unrest, for example, or religious unrest, uh, unrest especially, the, the government will clamp it down very quickly. Will clamp down because it, it's if, if it's a sector of religion is doing something of a, a that creates religious turmoil, then all religions will have to be will be affected, and immediately the the organized religion, that for example Christianity, will be the no, the focus of attention straight away, even though the 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 Christians are not the you know the people the target group, um, they are still being watched very carefully, and so there's always this constant fear that you know anything that happened that will create disability in the society, Christianity will have to be you know one of the people one of the groups that will be you know looked into as if they are going to create something more of an unrest. Let's talk about what happened in the Wenzhou state. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because there was a significant crackdown on churches there in Wenzhou. Uh, tell us yeah. about how that happened. Yeah, it, it came very out of the blue. Nobody knew why it was happening. And there was no prior warning that this is going to happen. Suddenly something happened. In Wenzhou, you, it's, it's what we call, we call Jerusalem of, of China. It's a place where Christianity grows in leaps and bounds. And um, it, it will uh, double itself in you know, about five years of thing. Uh, the, uh, I mean, the, the number of Christians there double itself in about five years. So it's a sort of a very a growth area, a very vast growth area of Christianity there, and uh, and they know that for a fact. Um, with Wenzhou, um, the government is more tolerant and giving them a lot more freedom in setting up really, um, churches there. Um, some of them are registered churches, which it's government control. Some of them are just plain house churches and they can now build their own buildings with the government's eye on them but they're tolerated for that and so you have a lot of churches that is unregistered um, but they're built on the grounds where you know been donated by by rich merchants um, because Wenzhou is a very industrialized area and so most of the money that comes out from building the churches came from these uh, businessmen and merchants. And uh, they're built on, the ground, on, on, on a piece of land um, that is not supposed to be a, a church building plot, but uh, they built it up and then they put up the crosses. If you go to Wenzhou, you'll, you'll be surprised to see it's like Korea, for example, or, or on the air, you see all crosses everywhere. And uh, suddenly, one day, the government decided to actually dismantle all the crosses and say that this is illegal and this is unstable and safe and uh, structurally. And um, it became a very, it became a very, very it's a big topic um, uh, in terms of uh, how the government looked at Christianity. And people tend to overblow that and say, "Well, this is the beginning of big persecution." So we're making a mental picture of what it looked like. Uh, we're yes. talking about. 230 crosses and I guess these are quite large crosses that were up yeah. over the uh, over the roof lines of houses and uh, and showing yeah. crosses all over Wenzhou yeah. uh, so yeah. so this is where uh, Christianity became quite visible there and and so the authorities then took action and they decided to dismantle these crosses 
That's right, yeah. And um, but we didn't know how until now. I mean, nobody actually can come out with any you know sort of valid reason for doing that sort of thing. The reason for that, well, well for me to say that was because they also dismantled the registered churches with the government. Uh, dismantled the, uh, the the crosses on the registered churches of the uh, uh, where the government um, uh, has sponsored ones as well, so it becomes something of a very um, interesting you know uh, uh, situation where they feel that uh, the crosses become a threatening sort of, sort of symbol um, in, in all that. Uh, did you, you said a threatening symbol. The cross yeah. is a threatening symbol in Wenzhou. Yeah, uh, that's very interesting because obviously you know the cross as the primary symbol of Christianity has right. so much deep uh, meaning uh, that uh, that's why we have the cross, and uh, that's right, yeah. uh, it's a powerful, powerful symbol. And so it, it's one of those things where we have got crosses going up. It's like the churches are pushing the boundary a little bit too far, and uh, authorities are saying, "Well, we got to rein that in." I, I think that I think that is exactly it. I think the boundaries is being always pushed and pushed and pushed, and uh, they're pushing too hard now. I think the people are not, and the authorities are not taking that. I think it's um, it becomes you know too much of a symbol uh, for the government to take. I think it's not going to be easy for the government to just swallow that. Um, so you know. If they can control that by just dismantling the process, they would do that very readily. It's Neil with you on this Monday edition of 2020 and talking about the breathtaking increase in Christianity in the world's most populous nation, China. 1.3 billion people in China and the figures of Christians in China could reach as high as 100 million by the year 2020. Uh, There's an acceleration of Chinese Christianity and, of course, uh, along with that come all of the effects uh, that Christianity actually brings to nations. And we've talked about some of those sorts of things earlier where there's uh, a response to the gospel, which is a reconnecting with God. Uh, where there is a, a transformation that happens in people's lives. And along with that comes other benefits to a nation like wealth and uh, all sorts of other uh, things like uh, social justice, the uh, focus on democracy and freedom that come from those. Dr. Justin Tan is our guest. He's from the Centre for the Study of Chinese Christianity at Melbourne School of Theology. You can be a part of our conversation. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Justin, if I'm asking you about uh, the contribution that Christians make, when you've got that many Christians Uh, in the nation of China, ultimately there's going to be some sort of uh, social involvement, uh, effort there in the community. What sort of contribution are Christians making? Uh, We can put it in the historical perspective. There are several different stages of uh, Christian social concern, if you want to put it that way. Um, For the first part of that is prior to Cultural Revolution, um, the Christians are a bit more... um, uh, Talking, or they talk more to us how Christianity beca- can become um, a political force. And well, obviously, when the communists took over, uh, this sort of you know, thinking will have to be stamped down. And after that, we have the Cultural Revolution. With the Cultural Revolution, it starts from 19, 1966 or 1976 or, there, or thereabouts. 
Um, we have uh, Christianity that's going underground um, because of the big persecution that's happened. But because they're sort of underground, they do a lot of work underground as well. And this is to actually help out with the poor people, especially in the rural areas. And so they begin to understand that Christianity has a big force, uh, even they are, if they, are, they were underground. Um, so they help out and say in to to work and um, and help with the the poorest of the poor in uh, in in the rural areas. So they begin to, be, uh, to have that big force of love, you can say, the love and concern for other people. You know, to be able to just be taking care of the the vulnerable um, in in the society. They do that in the in in the quiet instead of just doing that in the open. And because they are not afraid of persecution. They go out there and do this sort of, um, you know, helping others um, in their really the most difficult time in their lives. People begin to understand that, you know, Christianity has got this fantastic sort of um, love for others. Um, so the fastest growing time will be the, the time where we can, we, we say the, the most difficult time, which is the Cultural Revolution. After the Cultural Revolution, which is 1976, and you have all the reformed in um, in, the, in in the government, um, they begin to understand that they are not just going to help out with the poor; they also help out also for people who are who has no voice uh, in uh, in society. For example, people who can't speak for themselves if their houses are being taken away uh, because. Uh, government decided that there's a road that will go through their, their property. And so the, the Christian lawyers and uh, people who are concerned will come out and speak for these so-called voiceless people. So this is the social concern that they're doing right now. And the government tolerate this sort of thing because they feel that, you know, as long as it doesn't infringe on uh, government policies, it helps to build up images that, you know, government is just and the government is helping uh, the poor as well. Yeah, so just let's dwell here for a moment, Justin, because yeah. uh, the interesting contrast uh, that in the things that you're talking about here, because uh, for a lot of people who take Christianity for granted, uh, we assume that people help one another anyway. But uh, when you make a comparison between uh, what yes. was there before communist society and then you yes. talk about uh, the rising Christian uh, numbers and uh, bringing love and concern, uh, yes. is is the contrast so stark that under communism you just don't get that love and concern, the voice for the voiceless, those sorts of things? Yes, it is a big contrast. I think the big contrast, I mean, this, it's not going to be reported in in, uh, in the press, but it is something that people begin to appreciate about Christianity. And part of the reason, or a big part of the reason why people come to Christianity was because of this uh, this concern and love for others, uh, especially in the rural areas. You know, the rural areas is the fastest growing area in, in China. They have about 80% of Christianity, or Christians uh, from rural areas. So you can see that, you know, the things that they do, they're just not by just sharing about the gospel, you know, using words and that sort of thing. They're using action to actually express the Christian love for others. And that sort of touched a lot of others, other people as well. And because of that, they came to Christianity and knowing that, you know, Christians are loving each other and those are not about, you know, being close, uh, circuit sort of, sort of love, but, you know, they're just open up to 
to helping others and love others as well. And you mentioned that the believers are not afraid of persecution. Uh, sometimes we think, oh, well, if there's persecution, that's something that we should be uh, you know, very mindful of and be afraid of. And I suppose persecution has that, uh, that uh, motive to create some level of fear, to, uh, to be able to stop uh, the growth of an unwanted uh, organisation. But, but yeah. you're saying believers are not afraid of persecution. They're just there to love uh, others and bring yeah. them to Christ. Yeah, I think I, th- I need to qualify that a little bit. This, this, this fear that I will, we will, previously we were talking about, the fear of persecution in a sense, it's always like a shadow uh, that's sort of at, in the background. And you know that it, you, you never know when it's going to come. This persecution is going to come. But they are not going to be stopped by this fear of persecution. Um, because they have a lot of examples uh, during the Cultural Revolution for people who stand up for their faith. And these are people, they are, they are heroes of their faith. And they find that these are something to be praised about, to be, you know, to be propagated to other people and say, you know, if you are strong in your faith, this is where God is going to bless you. And, um, and because of that, and they are more courageous in doing in their work um, towards others. And they find, besides, the feel that, you know, love is something uh, that people will appreciate. You know, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's going to just help somebody. And so even with persecution, they'll come out and say, well, as my Christian duty and because of the love that God has given me, I will express it in terms of helping others. So I will not be afraid of people saying that you're Christians, you're going to persecute me. No, I'm going to do what I have to do as a Christian. And I feel that, you know, this is what God wants me to do. That's how people are looking at it when they're helping others. Justin, if you're looking into the future this century and seeing this growth curve of Christianity, and as I've been describing it, breathtaking growth of Christianity in the nation of China, eventually you get to a point where... Uh, the numbers are large enough to make a difference in in a society. Now, in a, in a society like Australia, we have a mechanism which we call our democracy and our ability yeah. to then cast our That's vote it. because we talk about, you know, legislating morality. Someone's morality is being legislated. Why not yours? How, how will Christians bring about change in China if that were their goal uh, because there isn't a democracy in China? Yeah, that's the hard part, I suppose. You know, we can only do that much. Uh, wherever you are, you can only do that much uh, in terms of the, of the situation uh, in China. It's not something that you can actually go politically uh, into a situation like this. You you can do socially. You can be a, do a social good to, to society. But politically, I think people are still not very sure where they, they stand. Um, with China, with with, with the Chinese Christians, for example, they they will want to work step by step. I think just gradually work themselves into society. So first of all, they do social concern, and then they have some of the social consciences uh, that they're doing that as well, uh, having lawyers to re- represent the voiceless, and then gradually begin to you know have people who are. Um, talking about how to transform a society, not in terms of trying to overthrow, but in terms of trying to transform society into a better one that people can 
you know, respect each other and uh, have more say to to the society. There's an influence that does uh, correspond to change in a society that you're talking about, not a matter of overthrowing, not a matter of some sort of a coup somewhere taking place exactly, that all of a sudden yeah. turns it into a Christian society. But let me just ask you too, because uh, as I understand it, over the past 10 years, there's been a huge number of people who, even within the Communist Party, have converted to Christianity. Yes, I heard about that, but it's, it's never actually, you know, uh, out in the very open, and you know, people profess that in the, in in the open. But yes, yes, you, uh, that one I I would admit to. A lot of people who are in authorities um, have been converted to Christianity. Yes. We will continue our conversation in just a few moments. And Justin, I want to be able to ask you uh, too about uh, some detail on how people can actually get their teeth into some study uh, to be a part of even what you're running there, the Centre for the Study of Chinese Christianity at the Melbourne School of Theology. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you on 2020. Dr. Justin Tan from the Centre for the Study of Chinese Christianity at the Melbourne School of Theology. Our guest this hour, we're talking about China. Uh, our talkback line is open one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen, 316 316 and you might have some contribution, uh, some thought about China you might like to bring, uh, even uh, with our Australian context. Uh, we've talked, Justin, about what happens, uh, transformed lives, uh, and even the effects that flow on from that, uh, wealth in society and uh, the freedom that comes from a democracy. Uh, and some of these things seen by Chinese people as really things to be uh, to, to be embraced in China. Let me ask you about another dimension of uh, Chinese society that uh, that really is under some level of influence from Christianity, and that is uh, in the er- area of academia and uh, the universities in China and what they're teaching people. And this is something you are very close to because, uh, because yes. you do some teaching in China. Yes, yes. Uh, this is something of a, you know, a highlight in, in my work in China. Um, because we are all academics and we are invited into places where you've never thought it's going to happen. Um, if gradually, most uh, the, the universities are opening up to ideas, and Christianity is obviously a, a very attractive idea um, that's going to be uh, studied and investigated in a university level. Uh, I was invited into a university to teach uh, a graduate class uh, on the study of the Bible. Um, so something, a biblical studies uh, uh, that we have never actually anticipated before. And it happens in such a way that I'm an Old Testament scholar. I'm invited into uh, teaching Old Testament in, in a university. And... Um, we see that you know this is a growth area as well. We know we talk about numbers, uh, numbers in terms of uh, growth of uh, Christianity in in China, but we have never actually talked about how the 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 growth of scholarship in in China or Christian scholarship in China. I think this is something of an exciting thing to me anyway. We have about at least five to six, which is openly inviting people to study Christianity in in, in China. Uh, in a university, and um, I'm involved in, in that. And um, we are growing a lot more scholars than we, 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 we can actually cope with. We're people who are very interested in Christianity, and uh, a lot of them, uh, 
a lot of them are Christians in themselves. I mean, they are Christians because they feel that you know they want to study Christianity in the academic level, and um, so they came over to us and said, "Well, you know, we want to study, say, for example, master's degree or PhD degrees or doctorate degree. Would you to supervise us in that?" And so we went in there specifically for that idea and to supervise people who are wanting to do this this work. Yeah, this is... Uh, okay, so people coming to Australia to study, but now the it's the reciprocal is there, and you're being invited into Chinese universities to actually okay. study the Bible, which is, for, for listeners today, uh, they'll be very excited by that prospect. Yeah. Uh, and what? tell me about your response from students who are being exposed to the sorts of things you're teaching. The response is so great that, so, you know, I just want to be too excited about, you know, just sharing a little bit of this. We have people who are from different religions as well to come and say, well, we want to study about Christianity. We want to know what the Bible says. And so there um, I was given the opportunity of just sharing the things I like and love, uh, the study of the Bible. So, you know, it's something that you know, is exciting uh, for people for, from, from other faiths to be able to actually uh, study in my in my class, um, but we obviously, like I say, we have people who are already Christians who want to actually further their studies in in Christianity, and um, yeah, we have a very great response um, in in that. As I have say every time I go in there, I'll have about fifty to sixty in my in my class uh, studying the same course, and uh, but with different backgrounds. Uh, Justin, let me ask you about um, the Bible, because uh, the Bible uh, at one stage was a restricted book and you couldn't get a hold of uh, the Bible in China. And then, of course, there was, uh, you know, stories of Bible smugglers taking the Bible in uh, uh, by tens of hundreds of thousands. And now uh, there are Chinese companies that print the Bible. Is there a shortage of the Bible in China or is or is some of that a little overblown? I think there is no shortage of the Bible in, in, in China. It's been openly sold in churches. Say, for example, the registered churches have Bibles just displayed uh, after the service, and you can buy it at very cheap, um, uh, uh, very cheaply in, uh, in 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 the church. It's openly sold. And also nowadays, it's it's it's, uh, it's you can get it from the internet and you can download it from somewhere. So it's not a big problem nowadays to be to have that sort of access to the Bible. So internet has made a huge difference because it's uh, not censored uh, that you would uh, you can get the you can download the Bible, and so anyone who has any access to that technology. What about the poor people in uh, village communities uh, that are not in the wealthy sections of China? Is there any particular need for the Bible in those communities? You'll be surprised that they already have that. They already have that on their on their mobile phone. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, so it's not something that you know. You say, "Well, they are poor," but they are they are not sort of that intellectually poor. They could actually access that in, on on their on the mobile phone. So they they download that into their mobile phones. They don't carry Bibles nowadays. They carry their mobile around, and they just you know just tune into whatever uh, that's there. I mean, if you want a passage from Genesis, for example, to just just press a button and they got it. So it's that sort of thing. You know, Bible is not something that we feel we need to actually smuggle in nowadays, and it's illegal anyway to smuggle anything like that in into in China. That's right. But, yes. Uh, just let's pick up on uh, some other important things uh, when it comes to uh, churches, the free churches and the or the the registered churches and the unregistered churches. Uh, is there uh, more unregistered churches coming out into the open? 
yes, yes, you can say that. It's all everywhere nowadays. And uh, the government tolerates that as long as it doesn't go up to the 100, say, in a, in a group. So if you have 100 in your small group, in a small house church, then you have to split and just like sell churches everywhere sort of thing. Um, but as long as you keep to that sort of number, the, the government will tolerate that. And we have pro problems like, you know, uh, house churches wanting to get too big. For example, there there is a big persecution uh, in, in Beijing, for example, with a, uh, an, a house church which has a number of a, hundred, a thousand. And they're becoming too too much of a of a distraction for the, the government, so they have to close it down. Certainly surprising for, I guess, some listeners uh, to our conversation, hearing of house churches that have a 1,000 people in them. When we say yes. house churches, I mean, are we talking meeting in someone's house or are we talking about no. meeting in a, a warehouse? What they do is they just, uh, they just uh, rented an office area, um, a hall, for example, uh, on Sundays. And so... A hall, for example, in a hotel when they have forums, when they have this space of hall that you can hire. So this is how they do it every Sunday. And uh, if the government says that you can't do that for too long, they will shift to another hotel or something. And, and does the uh, the governing authority, do they have a lot of say? Because there was the uh, the Shao Wang Church uh, that had uh, some issues where they were yeah. uh, put out of their building and they decided, decided they'd meet in the park. Yes, I was there actually. Oh, really? <laughs> Missed of it. I wasn't in the park, but I was. I was there when this happened. Yes, it's a very interesting thing to see that you know. But they are very, they are too vocal, I think, for for their own good, if you put it that way. Too vocal in the sense of trying to actually challenge the, uh, the the way the government wants to conduct the whole thing. And because they're too vocal, they become a centre of attraction, of attention to to the, to the authorities. And so, um, Justin, we're running short of time a little, uh, but yeah. your thoughts on, on the persecution that is there, as you say, as a shadow, uh, is that actually helping the church to grow? Uh, is it better if it's there? Yes, I think it, I think you know it's something that we, we you know it's a providence of God. Sometimes I say, you know, as we see that the more persecution we have, or the fear of that persecution we have, it doesn't actually deter people from believing. They find that it's, it's almost exciting to be able to say that you know my 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 belief becomes a threat to something you know of the authorities, and it sort of makes them bold. Uh, uh, even in the midst of persecution. Wow. And Justin, I want to draw attention to the Centre for the Study of Chinese Christianity at the Melbourne School of Theology. The website address to get more detail, www.mst.edu.au. That's www.mst. That stands for the Melbourne School of Theology, MST. Dot edu dot au and uh, I guess you've got courses in all sorts of aspects of uh, of China that people can be a part of, and I encourage people to uh, pursue that, and uh, even perhaps talk to you personally, Dr. Justin Tan from the Centre for the Study of Chinese Christianity at Melbourne School of Theology. Justin, just great talking. Thanks so much for being with us today on Twenty Twenty. Thank you for having me. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.